1: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories on stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 145. Well, just ahead, we'll look at a modest car part maker in Michigan that suggests that Tesla's days as the electric car leader are numbered. And it's poker time on the conference calls. We're gonna help you listen to two tells from a CEO that might suggest a short-term focus on stock gains rather than a long-term focus on business gains and investing in a molecule that targets scores of kidney diseases. My conversation with Vera Therapeutics CEO Michael Fordyce, the best-performing biotech IPO of 2021. That's coming up in just a little bit, but first, it's sponsor time. The drill down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or
2: insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era. A I E R A. dot com.
1: And we hope you listen to every episode of the drill down, made so much easier by clicking the subscribe button and catching every show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a
2: global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All
1: right, welcome to The Drill Down. We are glad to have you. We've got some interesting companies to look at today helping me do that. Isaac Webster. Isaac, uh, how are you? I'm
2: doing great. How are you doing? Living the dream. Is it as cold up in SF as it is in
1: LA? Rarely, but it is unnaturally chilly here. There's actually some concerns about snow at higher elevations. They do this every year and people freak out. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, when I say cold in LA, we just have to wear a
2: a heavier light jacket. (laughs) (laughs) But... I have well, I on, have my beanie America, cap America on cries hand for you. Yes, right now. Exactly, exactly, Corey. What stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I'd like to start by looking at a company we've never talked about, which is called CVR Energy. CVR Energy. I've actually never heard of this company. Uh, it trades under CVI. CVI shares have lost twelve percent over the past twelve months. Although the stock has gained some since the start of the year, it's now trading about nineteen bucks a share, and that's well off the forty-nine bucks a share CVI reached. Back in July of 2019.
1: That's what they used to call on, C- on CNBC when the reporters had done no homework or the anchors had done no homework whatsoever on what they're talking about. It's a roller coaster ride for shares of CVI because they didn't know anything about it. Well, this is an interesting company, really interesting company. $3.2 billion enterprise value belies the billion dollar uh, market cap of the stock. But a $3.2 billion enterprise value, this company's a refiner. That uh, refines oil and creates uh, oil byproducts and fertilizer, uh, so t- refiner of two things. Um, this, this is this uh, is I don't want. Apparently, I'm going to go off on media criticism all all show today. But you know, this is one of the stupid media. One of the headlines, one of the few headlines I found about the stock that had a very big move uh, today. Um, you know, said so the company beat earnings at revenue estimates. What does that mean? It means they beat uh, they beat. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It means the analyst missed. It means the Ugh. analysts were analyzed. the company does what the company does. The analysts are paid to figure out what the company is going to do. The, the analysts were wrong. But also, th- this is not an earn a revenue story. This is a net income story. It's a dividend story. And it's a takeover or you know, a takeover vehicle story. So th- this whole thing about beat revenue estimates, was written, literally written by a robot. These stories are so dumb that a lot of the headlines you click on online and elsewhere, places like Bloomberg, where we used to work, Reuters, where I've never worked, they actually use, and others who are worse, use robots to write a lot of these earnings stories. The, well, that's the, how it's been for years though. And that's what drives the in, stock market. They throw in adjectives, they throw in okay, some nouns, but... and they, they compare things to the analyst estimates and they say beat. there's no thought going into this whatsoever. So the big story, indeed, the the headline on the very press release from the company itself was um, $243 million in uh, net income um, compared to $147 million in net income in the second quarter, in the first half of 2021, I should say. So so, uh, net income down quite a bit from the previous year. But I want to talk about the tells that I heard on the conference call because the tells were uh, telling. CEO just let slip a couple of phrases that let, suggested to me that maybe their concern isn't the long-term. So the big issue with this company that I mentioned is dividend. They paid out a giant special dividend, a one-time dividend to existing shareholders, uh, which they announced and they're about to pay out. I said they paid out, they're about to pay it out uh, when the company goes ex-dividend in a few weeks. But they announced a giant dividend, uh, $492 million of their cash, was going to be distributed to to investors. Uh, That's $4.89 per share. There were investors who'd own the stock in the second quarter of 2021. So who owns the stock? Well, that's always what you want to know about a special dividend. Because the hope was they would have lots of cash flow and and start a consistent dividend to benefit shareholders over the long-term. Because a short-term benefit only helps these short-term holders of the stock. Or the the long-term holders happen to be there. Right. Right. So so a special dividend is special only if you own the stock. I'm i remember I'm remembering a CEO, well, I'll just name her, Martha Stewart. Uh got who? about a thirty million dollar. She was a uh, she's a, a a corporate executive who spent time in prison um and had to sell fraud lawsuits. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Law yeah. She's also an acquaintance of mine, so I I tread lightly here. Uh but uh Martha uh Stewart Got a special dividend from the Martha Stewart Living Company, as did all the investors in the in the stock or all the shareholders at the time. It was about equal to some fines she had to pay uh, at about the same time. So, you know, these special dividends hmm. are really important to the insiders at a company who can decide and might want that money right away, not over the long term for the long term benefit of long term holders. So. You look to see, and as many investors, some posting on Seeking Alpha and other places, stock twits today saying, is the long-term dividend, is the special dividend going to transfer itself into more dividends in the future, regular old dividends? The answer is no. And that's why the stock was down so much after the earnings announcement with no mention of an ongoing dividend. So then you ask the question, well, who are the big shareholders who would benefit from a special dividend now Instead of the long-term shareholders who might uh, get a special, uh, regular dividend over time. Any names we might recognize? Carl Icahn, Ah. 71% of this company.
2: Well, this company is
1: Texas based, right? Uh, yes. And Carl Icahn is, I heard he sold his place in East Hampton though. He's like, he's in Florida more now. Mm. In any case, East Hampton misses him. I'm sure I've actually never seen him in East Hampton, but I'm sure I know that he owns, he owned a home there at least. In any case, um, another tell, so special dividend is a big tell. Another tell the company's in it or the management's in it for the the short term, not the long term. When the CEO refers to his own company by the stock ticker, not the company name. In this case, CVI, not CVR. Why why is that a tell? Why is that a tell? Explain that to us. Because they're thinking about the stock. They're not thinking about the business.
2: Isn't a CEO's job to also think about the stock
1: though? Uh, Well, here comes maybe the greatest bias of the Drill Down podcast. I believe that the company is more important than the stock and the long-term benefits of the stock uh, only come when companies are focused on their business, not the share price. Do you want to know the share price? Sure. But as a CEO, your focus has got to be on the business. You can't control the share price only if you can control the business. And it can be a sign of worse things. And I don't think that that's the case. I have no reason to think that that's the case here. Although once upon a time, I was sure to stock, a Las Vegas-based maker of slot machines that had some a lot of issues. Someone told me that the CEO had a picture in his office. And I later found a picture of him in his office. He had a giant sign at the back of, his, of his, his desk. Did it say the Strip? Did it say the Riviera Casino? Did it say... Love my mom and dad. No, it said, Wall Street, and to me, and that was a, that was a stock that went to zero. Mm-hmm. A stock, a company that's where the CEO is focused only on Wall Street is a company that doesn't have a long uh, Wall Street's Not that long. What's it? Six blocks? Come on. So we got both these tells in here. Focus on special dividend, not long term dividends. Focus on stock tickers, not the company name. And the last thing I want you to know about this guy, the guy complaining about, the CEO complaining about what's going on in the world, this case, uh, the company does not use the refinery to make any ethanol. The federal government, uh, uh, in particular, the EPA, wants companies to focus on doing renewables and they consider ethanol renewable. I'm not going to get into a debate whether ethanol is a good uh, focus for the EPA when they want renewable energy, but it is a fact that refiners that don't produce A certain amount of of ethanol or other renewables have to buy credits from other other refiners that do make ethanol and other renewables. Well, the cost of those credits has been rising for the last year in the Trump administration and in the Biden administration. They have risen quite a bit. Uh, The price of these renewable identification numbers are up almost 250, more than 250% since last year. So the, the price of these, these RINs, the, 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 which the CEO, David Lamp, is about to complain about has been rising a lot, really, since the last, really, let's call it 10 months. Um, and they hadn't budgeted for this. They weren't ready for this to continue. And this quarter, they decided to blame that for a really low net income and, yes, the lack of dividend. Here is CEO, David Lamp.
3: Well, I think uh you know, from a capital allocation, you know, C V I has always been a cash machine and it's uh you know, it's all about cash flow is what we're all about. Um I think you heard us mention that we spent four hundred and thirty five million complying with uh, or at least booked it on uh, our our balance sheet of uh of rent expense. And uh, when you put that in the equation it's uh it kinda it kinda just takes our cash flow to uh to a, a level we don't really like, um, so I mean, some rectification to RIS has got to happen, um, and we kind of outlined a, a lot of the things that are, that we think we're going to take steps on. But uh, that 435 just kind of wipes out uh, you know, wipes out anything we can do. We our balance sheet is still strong, however, and uh, you know I think. Uh, we, we're not far from a position of, uh, of thinking about dividends again. And, and uh, I know the board talks about it every quarter and uh, that those conversations will continue. So you want
1: a dividend? Well, only if you're special. One-time special dividend complaining about the weather, in this case, the weather, the 10-month-old rise, the 10-month uh, trend of rising RINs or renewable uh, uh, the renewable energy credit, which they call the renewable identification number credit, the rising RINs, special dividend, no long-term dividend, didn't help CVI, the stock ticker, let alone CVR Energy, the company. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at American Axel and manufacturing.
2: Okay. Trades under AXL and shares have dropped 15% in a
1: year, vastly underperforming the broader market. Where would you guess American Axle is based? Uh, I want to say Pennsylvania. I'm going with Detroit.
2: Okay. I'm assuming because
1: you know where it's based, it's Detroit. Yes. It is there you based go. in Detroit, formed in a 1994 merger of a couple of companies. Um, did an IPO, did another IPO, took themselves out, took themselves back in the market. It's a $3.7 billion company. In fact, strangely, the uh, same size as, uh, as uh, the company we're describing for CVR Energy. Um, American Axle, interesting company, they make, uh, they've got two main businesses, a driveline segment and a metal forming segment. What does driveline make, you might be asking, Isaac? Yeah, what what does that mean?
2: Is that what an axle, that's the the axle axle part of American Axle?
1: It's axles, drive shafts, different assemblies, clutch modules, balance shaft systems, disconnecting driveline technology, electric and hybrid driveline systems. And this is what's important here. The electric part of that, right? When we think about electric vehicles, we think about one company in particular, right? In Tesla, uh-huh. and they've dominated the electric car market, and the electric, uh, uh, you know, the electric, uh, uh, whatever you call the crossover market, whatever you call it, uh, hybrid market. Model X, sure. No, I'm thinking of the Model X too. But they've, they've, they are the leading maker of of those vehicles. But Detroit is catching up, Detroit's on the way. And we've heard a lot. Look, if you watch the Super Bowl, I don't think there were any ads for cars that weren't electric. Right. Well, that's just the way it's going to be. So we look for little clues as to when this is happening. Well, this company, American Axle, might not be a Tesla killer, but when you look at the backlog in their business, the mix of their backlog, and particularly the orders that they have and that they haven't filled yet, over a third, over 35% is electric drives. In spite of the other drives that they sell, which are also being used for or modified for, electric vehicles. These guys are taking orders right now and rushing to fill them for electric vehicles right now. Who now And who that they, sorry to interrupt but who are they taking orders from? Great question. So they got a big order from GM, okay. They got a, um, some European orders as well from a company called Nee or any I don't know how you pronounce it. Um so they've announced a bunch of deals. They were actually at CES, which is a consumer electronics show, which is a pain in the butt of press announcements which I refuse to go to anymore. But um, these guys were there showing off their electric drives, their electric axles, their electric um, uh, business, drive shaft systems, uh, balance shaft systems, uh, clutch modules uh, that are for electric vehicles. All those things can be different in an electric vehicle, be it a commercial vehicle, a crossover, a sports utility vehicle, a truck, light truck at least. So these guys are out there taking orders, right? They've already received orders, it's in their backlog and it's growing. And uh, that part of their uh, electrification backlog mix is a huge part of their business going forward, according to the chief financial officer, American Axel's Chris May.
3: And as it relates to our electrification uh, backlog mix, you know, think about the announcements that we have made through the course of this past year, 18 months, right, wins with Neo, uh and General Motor Hummer on the component side. We are launching drive units with uh, companies such as RE is also our European manufacturer. We, we've yet to disclose the name on that'll be a big drive unit win and also drive units that we've been in China. So it's a really nice, healthy mix across our entire product suite and many, many different customers.
1: So Isaac, there may be further proof that uh, that the big revolution in electrical vehicles is, is coming, maybe arriving very soon with orders from non-Tesla suppliers uh, already in hand.
2: I got to say, on a personal level, I'm very glad to hear this because uh, we need some competition for Tesla.
1: Yeah, well, they're going to get it uh, Good, getting it already. Um, I don't know. What do you, you don't have an electric vehicle, though, do you?
2: Uh, I don't at the time. I used to have um, one of those Audi electric cars. And? Uh, it was great. It was great. Okay. It was a lease. The lease was up, and, you know, um, I didn't like it enough to keep with it. So you got the Hummer. <laughs> Uh, we did go for a bigger car for the family, but our next car, we want and need to be electric. And I have to say with, uh, with the stuff that Elon Musk tweets about, I just, um, I don't feel comfortable with Tesla at the moment. So well, there we go. Yeah. It is personal. Your money. Uh, it's money. Uh, money not personal. personal
1: with me and Elon. There's some beef, but it's entirely professional. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, coming up next. We've got a really interesting interview with a company that's involved in um, uh, a sadly growing problem, which is kidney disease uh, and has direct ties to obesity with a really novel novel approach with a molecule that might help a lot of different kidney diseases. Therapeutics CEO Marshall Fordyce joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by
2: Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has some clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more built agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's
1: dot com to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by the CEO of Vera Therapeutics. Marshall Fordyce. Marshall, glad to have you join us. From where? Where are you right now? I'm in San Francisco, Corey. Nice to be here. Uh, no, it's not. It's cold as hell outside.
0: <laughs> it's,
1: it's gorgeous. I really did not mean to hit the sound button, uh, the sound effect <laughs> button on my machine, but we're going to let that go. Um, uh, <laughs> we we did interview a, a guy from uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin yesterday who, who has no, recently, who has no, um, uh, doesn't feel bad for us at all, complaining about the cold here where it's 14 degrees in Wisconsin. Um, Marshall, uh, tell me about your business, Vera. Uh, You guys have, is is it right to look at it as sort of three important drugs, uh, the principle among your concerns right now?
0: Absolutely, Corey. We're, We're a biotech company developing new medicines and we're in the immunology space. So we're looking to treat autoimmune disease and have a specific focus on kidney disease. We have two different drugs in development. Uh, for three different uh, disease states.
1: Got it. So there's three tests of two different drugs. Yeah. And, and various stages, also kind of stage two-ish?
0: That's right. We have two phase two studies going on right now and a phase three study planned for later this year. Uh, these are in areas where um, currently autoimmune disease is very incompletely treated uh, we we need better therapies for these patients, and uh, the first one is in a, a rare disease of the kidney called IgA nephropathy or IgAN, uh, and this is yeah. a a rare disease of the kidney with with um, you know only steroids for treatment. So we're looking to actually target the source of the disease and change the outcome for patients.
1: And is this the drug that you found that Merck had sort of an abandoned project that uh, you thought it would? Well, gee, this thing's twenty years old, but might actually work on this kidney. Uh, uh. Uh, neuroper-free.
0: Yeah. So, so Corey, the, the, you know, the path to a new medicine is an extremely long path and a lot of investment has gone into this molecule called the tachycept. Um, but it hadn't found its way in terms of the clinical science. How do you actually prove that this molecule is going to make a difference in patients and how do you demonstrate in that clinical trial? And that's what the Vera team has been focused on. And we have, uh, already some very compelling uh, results from clinical trials showing that we can target the source of the disease. And we're looking to show that that will actually translate into benefits for patients with IG nephropathy.
1: How does that happen? How do you, you know, I, I read this and, and just thought, like, what, did someone know about this drug? Was it, do you start to develop a, a drug on a whiteboard and, and you say, wait a minute, that we can't patent that. Someone's already got that. Well, what are they doing with like, what's the process?
0: I love the question. Uh, There really was a moment, a day in my office when I was sitting with our chief scientific officer, and we asked a very naive question. We said, Man, you know, what have we done for patients with lupus lately? That's a terrible autoimmune disease. Everyone's heard of it. Patients who have lupus have. Uh, Very few old medicines to choose from Plaquenil, which is an anti-malarial drug and steroids and not a whole lot else. Uh, But we did uh, see that there is a a drug approved for lupus that targets uh, a certain molecule called BLISS. And we saw that that drug got approved and it was actually getting used. It took a long time for the commercial launch to start to become successful, but it was looking pretty good. And we reasoned that if that's how well a molecule, you know, new medicine that targets bliss, if that's how well that does, then Surely, April and Bliss uh, should work better, and that's what Atachyceps targets. So it—it it literally, Corey was a whiteboard exercise in our office, saying, "Man, if that worked, then this should work better." And we found, from first principles, our way to this this molecule that targets both. That it had had sort of stalled in development. It hadn't been abandoned, but stalled because it had you know hit some hit some bumps along the road. And we got interested, and after a significant amount of diligence, knew that there was a a, a real opportunity in front of us and we pursued it
1: um, aggressively. You talk about real opportunity. How big is the... Uh, God, I almost said the thing that I hate when they talk about biotech. How big is the market? But How, <laughs> how many people suffer from this disease um, and, and might uh, benefit from the treatment?
0: Yeah. So, so f- just for, for simplicity, if you look at the United States, it's, it's in the realm of 150,000 patients at, oh, at, at, at any given time have IG nephropathy. Um, and obviously there are additional patients in, in Europe and Asia Pacific. There are about three to 4 million patients with IG nephropathy in China, for example. So after diabetes and hypertension or high blood pressure, it's one of the more common causes of, uh, of failing kidneys.
1: Well, and then I was going to get to that. Like, what what is it like for the uh, people who are suffering from this disease? Because it, I understand that leads to kidney failure, but I couldn't in my cursory reading of it, I couldn't find out what kind of misery these people are in until then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Corey, the, the um, you know, the average age of diagnosis is 30 years old. So imagine kind of starting your starting your jobs and you're, you're building your life and suddenly you're told you have a diagnosis that in the next decade or so could lead to
1: failing kidneys. And whether you have... But are these people feeling pain? Are they unable to do certain things? Or?
0: Yeah. In some, is
1: there, your internal organs don't actually have a lot of nerve receptors, which is good most days, but allows disease and things to to progress without you knowing about it.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so one thing that can happen is you can have high blood pressure and having that in your thirties or forties is a notable change. Um, uh, you can have swelling, uh, you can have foamy urine. So there, there are some, uh, some signs that you're not well, but it is not as though you're walking around with pain. So it really is a different. it's, it's really the anticipation that, uh, you know, before long, you will actually need hemodialysis or a kidney transplant, which I think many people through relatives and contacts know that that's a very big impact uh, in life changing and it's something that patients are motivated to avoid.
1: Well, and indeed, it's tough to do kidney transplants, period, because there just aren't that many donors. Indeed. Isn't the number hanging around about 17,000 a year?
0: That's that's right. Um, in the United States, it's about eighty thousand yeah. worldwide kidney transplant p- transplants, and and part of our interest. And in the second molecule that we got interested in, Corey, was um, is something called MAU eight six eight, which is um, uh, to try to make sure that the kidney transplants that happen actually uh, last. Uh, so one of the leading causes of kidney transplant failure is something called BK virus, and so we brought in a new molecule that. That actually is could be the first treatment for BK virus, and so
1: you know once you go through the BK virus is, is, is something that affects. So there was a time I, I own stock once upon a time in a company called CareDX, mm. um, and uh, and they had a DNA related test used to figure out if a kidney transplant was failing. Yes, um, which had been done with a biopsy, which you know. If you're listening to this broadcast right now, and if you're listening, you know that I just said that. Um, don't try a kidney biopsy at home. It's yeah. fairly annoying to <laughs> stick a needle all the way inside of your kidneys, suck up some cells, and do whatever you want with them. Um, but, but as a result, I did a lot of research on finding out sort of what goes on with kidney transplants and what a lousy uh, experience that is and how few people can actually get them
0: true and and actually you're, you're touching on an important point very few can get them uh, you can have a living donor a relative a friend who will donate a kidney and sometimes it's it's a um, you know a kidney from different sources and once you have it there's been so much invested in that process so the idea of actually losing it is a terrible idea so as you as you mentioned there are ways of of diagnosing whether there could be rejection of that kidney uh with a with a non-biopsy approach which is is a huge step forward. Um, I would say that, you know, you can only only keep your kidney if you can keep your your immune system at bay. So if you keep your immune system at bay with immune suppressive drugs, sometimes you will reactivate viruses that normally should stay kind of uh, uh, latent in the body. And BK virus is one of those. And, and by background, Corey, I'm an infectious disease physician, and I used to work on you know, on the transplant floor and see patients who had just had a kidney transplant and in the setting of their immune suppressive drugs would have BK virus come back and actually threaten their new transplant. Um, and so the idea that we have the technology, medicine has great molecular biology. We can build uh, antibodies against a virus like COVID-19 uh, and, and actually uh, get it into patients and, and enable, uh, enable better clinical outcomes. We've actually never done that uh, for BK virus. So uh, Vera is now poised to be the first to bring this forward uh, as a new potential uh, medicine, which is a, a huge opportunity. Uh, we're very excited to bring this program in last year.
1: And uh, that third drug?
0: Uh, well, those are the two drugs, and the the third the Sorry, third the disease, the third, yeah, the, yeah. the third disease that area we're looking at is is in lupus nephritis. So uh, the original idea that uh, this molecule that targets April and Bliss could be useful in lupus, this this uh, direction for us. Uh, is, is a lot about the clinical science. How do you, how do you design a clinical trial uh, with very clear endpoints so you know that this actually makes a difference for patients? And you can argue to patients, physicians, and ultimately payers that you're creating value. And that's hard to do in systemic lupus, uh, what's so called systemic lupus erythematosus. Uh, but lupus nephritis is a subset of those patients. <laughs> it's true. SLE is the is the nickname. Uh, but in lupus nephritis, you actually can measure those endpoints in a very clear way. And so we see a, a much clearer path to getting this medicine approved in lupus nephritis as opposed to to SLE. So it's I know it sounds technical, but it's but it's very um, very important that you're strategic in how you bring a medicine forward because you, you don't want to spend well, is, the
1: time. What yeah. is the thing you're measuring? Why is that so hard to measure?
0: Well, uh, in systemic lupus, what's being measured is a symptom score it's a, it's an assessment of how someone's doing uh, as assessed by a physician. And, it's, and that measure is actually not done in clinical practice. So you actually have to train your investigators in your trial on what to assess. And there's a lot of variability and subjectivity involved in that kind of assessment. Whereas in lupus nephritis, the endpoint is measuring um, uh, urine and blood and very specific analytes. So there isn't any human variability uh, in the endpoint for lupus nephritis. And that's a, a subtle what's, what's observation. What's
1: right with kidney? It's the EGFR in the blood work or Cre- it's the creatine?
0: Correct. Uh, so, so serum creatinine is measured in the blood and that's used to predict the glomerular filtration rate or GFR. Um, but there's an additional measure that, that is, I think, one of the reasons that we're seeing in biotech right now at the beginning of 2022, an interest in developing new, new medicines for, for kidney disease, because there is some openness to looking at easier things to measure. And one of them is measuring protein in the urine, which Normally shouldn't happen, but in a disease state, you have protein in the urine. If you have a medicine that can reduce protein in the urine in IgA nephropathy and in lupus nephritis, the two diseases we're looking to uh, to address, um, you actually um, uh, that that is a pathway to uh, uh, to a potential approval. Uh, So that's an important innovation.
1: I was struck in in the reading of your filings about the time it takes to design and recruit candidates for a trial. Um, I, I sort of I sort of get the design aspect, although again, it, once the design is done, it seems why didn't that only take a week or something? But explain the recruitment of candidates and, and how hard that is, and what the, what does that look like on the ground?
0: Uh, Corey, it, it's the area in clinical research that needs the most innovation, and I and I do think that uh, better better um, connectivity tools. I think health IT is a, is an area that is. Um, uh, totally ripe to to transform what we do in clinical research the the single biggest bottleneck in what we do is is enrollment time how do you identify patients how do you ensure that they actually um, uh qualify for your trial? Uh, and how do you get them engaged? And, and there are many technical factors in connecting the dots, uh, making sure that they fit your entry criteria. But then there are a lot of human factors as well. Uh, and I just don't think we have the right uh, 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 kind of infrastructure set up here. And there are many new companies coming out uh, that are trying to solve this issue for the industry. It's, it's ripe for innovation.
1: All right, but let me ask again, how does it happen? Like, how, how do you actually recruit yeah. uh, around this issue?
0: Well, you, you begin, uh, it, you know, there's, there's an aspect of the business which often uses uh, uh, contract research organizations or CROs or businesses that are focused on enabling a company like ours to connect to doctor's sites, whether they're academic or private doctors uh, throughout the world uh, and identify which, which sites are interested in, in, in the trial that you're conducting, which sites are likely to have multiple patients that they could screen and potentially uh, enable uh, in, uh, to come into the trial. Uh, and those are contract relationships between uh, a drug development company and, and, and a clinical trial site.
1: Let me so, paraphrase. So you go out, you hire a CRO, they go out to doctors and they try to find doctors doing work on kidney diseases and say, we need, we need patients. We need patients. We need patients. Can we contact your patients? We need patients. We need patients. How about that patient? What about another patient? You got another patient until they can finally get up enough bodies together to, uh, to make enough numbers for your trial with the understanding that some are going to drop out, that some are going to miss a treatment that some are going to report when you need them to. So you'll end up with a smaller number at the very end. You've got it. Um, wow. That's annoying. (laughs)
0: <laughs> a lot, a lot of ways to you know, uh, a, a lot of ways to do that well, uh, and and make sure that those relationships are strong business relationships, and 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 that the physicians are truly excited about the innovation, and uh, that's what excites me as a as a physician by background and wearing the CEO hat. I can understand that. Um, you know, there needs to be true belief in the hypothesis that you're testing in your clinical trial. These are, these are doctors who are taking care of the patients. They don't want to put them at any risk. And if there's a a true potential to improve their clinical outcomes with a clinical trial, they'll do it. And, you know, the obvious, uh, the obvious uh, example is in an oncology, you know, in cancer, you want a doctor, if you've got a, a very difficult to treat condition, that they're going to do everything they can, both what's available and what's coming down the pike.
1: Uh, and well, I think that's out, a, an incredibly important It turns important out when you piece. have an easy to treat condition, you want the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just by example. <laughs> um, so uh, do you guys have enough money to get there? I mean, you've we got do. To do. These treatments, it's going to take a long time to do it. Um, I, I, I don't like to talk about stocks. I like to talk about businesses, but uh, there's been a real big sell-off in the last two years in biotechnology across the board. And on top of that, you have a lot of, most of, those, a lot of those companies out there in, in your stage are looking for a, planning on a future fundraising to get a, a phase three trial done to get a drug approved. And the market might not be there to support them. And it could be a really ugly year in the world of biotech where you have some promising and less promising companies and and treatments and drugs that may never get the, a chance for a phase three trial. Those are going to run yeah. out of cash.
0: Yeah, uh, Corey. Very important point. It's it's uh, it's a difficult public market out there right now. But uh, Vera's in a strong position. Uh, we finished twenty twenty one as the best performing IPO uh, in the biotech sector last year. We were up. 143 percent last Damn year. Damn you with
1: faint praise. Uh, thank you. IPO, yes.
0: And and we completed a financing last week. Uh, so so we uh, we know that it's possible uh, in a in a difficult market with strong fundamentals to uh, get the capital you need to 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 flip the card that investors want to see. And thankfully we have a few of those, and we're very grateful to to be in this position now. But it's a difficult market for sure.
1: I would also think it's difficult when you're planning. The study that could get you uh, to the Holy Land, you you want to give the drugs a, lo- a long enough time to show a positive result, and a short enough time that you don't have to keep waiting for the test to be finished. And it's it's a it's unfortunately a financial decision. Um, there was one drug company not worth mentioning right now, but I looked at that was exactly the case where they had a they had positive results after 14 weeks. The problem was their study was 10 weeks and the market crushed them when they came out with the results and they said, we designed the study poorly. Let let us give a chance, give us a chance. I don't know if that was, if they're full of baloney and that happens, but it was an interesting problem.
0: Corey, I wish I could talk to you at the end of many of my work days here. Um, you know, uh, it, it is my job. They to, do serve alcohol yeah. here in my offices
1: here <laughs> in the Ferry Building, so maybe we'll make that happen.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it, it's my job to balance, um, you know, the science with the financial needs. And uh, it's important not to take shortcuts and design excellent trials. Uh, you can't design something uh, that's driven, uh, that that's that, that's overly driven by the the financial needs. Of course, uh, you know, you also need to be able to to resource it appropriately. So, um, you know, the the endpoints that we've chosen at Vera have have been well-validated by others. So these are not mysteries for us, Corey, about how long a trial should be run. Uh, We do that in a very measured way. Uh, And then we go uh, find the resources to meet the science.
1: Well, interesting stuff. We certainly, on behalf of all the people suffering from these kidney diseases uh, and probably more uh, going forward. Uh, we wish Vera Therapeutics knew you a lot of uh, uh, goodwill and success. Uh, Marshall Fordyce is the CEO of Vera Therapeutics, a company which we'll talk about in the Drill Down bite. the one number that tells us a whole lot right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era,
2: give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription
1: and event intelligence. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you enjoy the drill down enough to recommend it to other people interested in business and the stock market. We'll accept your help, all the help we can get a lot of people who could use this kind of information. So I would do it every week right here on the drill down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on.
2: Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website,
1: bizpod.net.
3: Well, Isaac, fascinating
1: conversation with the CEO there of Vera Therapeutics. Um, and, uh, you know, probably a lot of lessons for a lot of different kinds of businesses there, now the least of which is don't run out of money. And that's a problem in the biotech world. I think we're going to hear a lot about that this year, which I think might lead to a lot of M&A and a lot of failed companies because they've just, uh, they've done these IPOs in a tough market. The IPOs generally, unlike Vera, the best performing IPO of last year did really poorly in the IPO market don't have enough money, continue with all the tests and uh, long-term studies that they need to do. Uh, Vera's avoiding that now by going to a, maybe an unfriendly market or maybe a market that likes them because their stock have done so well. As, as we heard from the CEO selling more shares and here's that bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Vera Therapeutics. They raised $86.1 million on a Valentine's Day offering. Uh, a lovely Valentine for that but uh, enough to keep the company going for a lot longer and get them through these studies, which will hopefully, hopefully, I, I, you know, if the company as well, that's perfectly fine, but hopefully for all the people suffering from kidney disease, hopefully these studies go well and we get some drugs in the market to help some people who otherwise don't have help.
2: Yeah, and also talking about business, it's this episode today uh, is a little bit of the tale of two CEOs. You go back to talk, you know, you go back and think about what the, we heard from the CEO of CVI, when he might be focused a little bit more on the stock. Well, the CEO Vera telling us, you know, how he balances the business and yeah. the science. I thought that was, was very interesting. C-
1: the, the CEO of CVR Energy, who's focused instead on CVI, the stock. That was why I said CVI. Yeah. Indeed, well, I, I, you know, on a personal level, I wish them both a lot of success. You know, I wish everybody a lot of success. Oh, aren't you sweet. Occasionally, really rarely, really, yeah, rarely. That could just be Rare. full of shit. rarely, <laughs> but with great sincerity, Isaac Webster is our executive producer, <laughs> Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The drill down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.